This week on Inside the Ropes, the winners, five of them, would you believe, in various parts of the world, five Aussies who got the chocolates. We talked to Hannah Green about her Olympic selection for Tokyo in ooh, just a couple of weeks. And we talked to Mike Clayton about Royal St. George's host course for the Open Championship just next week. Let's go. You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe now through your favourite podcast app. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Inside the Ropes, episode 214 today, and it's a huge winner's edition of Inside the Ropes this week. After not one or two, but three Australians won on the pro tours of the world in one weekend. That might be a record, but we'll sort that out soon. Plus, our special guest today is first-time Olympian Hannah Green, who was named last week to the Australian team for Tokyo. Plus, we'll sort out some of the issues and problems and talking points of golf. I'm Martin Blake, Media Manager of Golf Australia. I'm your host today, and it must be remiss of me not to mention my old mate, Mark Hayes, my predecessor, who's not with us today, having left Golf Australia. And also to Andy Marr, our customary host of the last few years. Thanks to those two guys. What an enormous job they've done for golf and for this show. But I'm in the seat today, and going forward, we'll have one or two changes that you'll learn about in good time. Meanwhile, Mike Clayton, you're encyclopedic on golf, I'd say. Can you remember three Australian pros winning in the same weekend ever? I saw someone on something on Twitter the other day. I think... There was a week in the late 80s when someone won in Japan, in America, and in Europe, ah. which was possible given that we had Greg at, Greg, Greg at his best in the 80s and um, a bunch of good players in Japan, and you know, there were plenty of guys winning in Europe. So I wouldn't bet that it wasn't the first time it had happened, but it was awfully unusual to say the least. Australia Day for the second time. So just for the record, those three of the pros were, first of all, Steph Kiriakou from Sydney, who won the incredibly crazily called uh, or named Big Green Egg Open in the Netherlands on the Ladies European Tour. Then Lucas Herbert from Bendigo in Victoria, a good old Lucas, friend of the program, won the Irish Open uh, near Kilkenny. It was at Mount Juliet, I think, on that Jack Nicholas course there. And then... On uh, Sunday afternoon, uh, Detroit time, Cam Davis, for his first win on the PGA Tour of the United States, gets up in a five-hole playoff in the Rocket Mortgage Classic to give us three. And the two that I should mention on top of that, which really adds to the story, is that Kirsten Rudgley from Perth won the Helen Home Open, which is a pretty big amateur event, as I understand it, Clates, played at Royal Troon, you know, to, to, to add to the, the weight of that. And then on Sunday afternoon, US time, Louis Dobelar, who's the reigning Australian amateur champion, won the North and South Amateur, and that was at Pinehurst, uh, which is a famous place as well. So there were five winners on the weekend. It's pretty unbelievable. I mean, what does it really say, Clates? We've got some good players. I yeah. guess it says, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, or it's just a happy coincidence. But I think last time I was on, we were lamenting the average performance of the guys in the US Open. In the majors, and I think, generally. Yeah. yeah, the majors, yeah. You know, and Cam Davis's name came up as perhaps the one 
we'd forgotten about who was a phenomenal talent. You know, people kind of forget. What, what that? Not, not, not forget, but it's like it was Greg Norman and he came out with some crazy performance in his fifth tournament as a pro, but he shot 64 to win the Australian Open at the yeah. Australian, which was an incredible round, 2017. That was. 2017, yeah. And he's, you know, quietly gone about playing really well most weeks in America. So this is not a surprise. And when you watch the playoff, it would have been an outrage if he hadn't won that playoff. I mean, he was inside Troy Merritt on every hole and um, you know, he was clearly the guy who was, you know, justice was done when he won. It was a, and Merritt hit that great shot into the par five over the water and Cam stood there with a three on and hit it inside. It was a brilliant shot. So the right man won that. And, you know, he's, um, he's clearly an Incredible player. And, and I'm not sure everyone's seen the, the thing on YouTube where he turns around and hits a shot right-handed and turns around with the exact same swing and hits a left-handed. So that's, that's some serious talent, isn't it? I, I don't think any of us are surprised, surprised Clayton Sowie, because he's been playing pretty well on the US Tour. He just hadn't got a win. He looked, uh, you know, to me, like he was getting a bit nervous. I'm told that he's had his sports psych staying with him in the last few weeks and they've maybe worked out a few things because he looked pretty calm and he didn't miss a shot, did he, all the way down the stretch, really? He holed out on 17 in regulation play from a bunker which, for an eagle, which which helped. He, finish, he finishes eagle birdie to actually get in the playoff. Uh, but in the actual playoff, he did, he couldn't make a putt. And he had, he's had a six-footer at the first playoff hole, which... Uh, he belted through the break, uh, left to rider, and uh, but he did not miss a shot. And that three iron that you talked about, he, he's a he's a fantastic long iron, iron player, and he's very long off the tee as well. He's good. He's really good, really good. So let's see. I, did it? Is he in the open? Do we know? Does that get him in the open winning now? I assume it does, or it should. There's probably some sort of three tournament main list before the open that he'd be obviously leading. I assume, but. Yeah, I think some of the radio stations spoke to him this morning. He was in a car driving to the next tournament on the tour. So I uh, I am not actually sure of that information, but I believe he's in the Masters for next year. Um, his world ranking has gone from – he started this year at number 229, I believe, and he's up to number 67. So he's getting close to that top 50 area, which gets you in all the majors and the world golf championships. Let's have a listen to Cam Davis talking about his – first PGA Tour victory afterwards? I I just kept on trying to play the golf that I played down 18 in regulation. I played you know, a little bit of a battle earlier in the round, but I found a good groove and I just tried to keep on doing the same thing over and over again. I was hitting the ball well, so just keep giving myself a putt at it and you know, I had a, quite a few opportunities so the, the pressure was off in terms of I felt like I was hitting the ball well. So, But I mean, Troy's just you know, if he misses a green, it looks like he's going to go up and down every time. And then when he did that on uh, going back down 14 there, I'm just like, well, I've just got to hit a really good shot again. So, yeah, I just had to stay really patient and calm. And I felt like I did a really good job of that. So Through 70 good. holes, I mean, you were barely mm. hanging on. I mean, yeah. you weren't even on the first page of the leaderboard. That finished to go eagle, then birdie. How were you able to deliver that birdie on the 72nd hole on what had been a difficult hole to make three on today. Well, I didn't really know what the guys were doing behind us. I mean, I just wanted to hit a really good shot in there. I felt like I hit a great drive, had a decent number for my second one, just go through it all again. I mean, I wasn't really thinking about in terms of winning a tournament or having to try and give it a chance to 
you know, get into second. I, like, I had no idea where I stood, so I just had to hit a really good shot. And if I gave myself a putt for birdie, try and make that, I just kept it as simple as I possibly could. And I think I did a good job of that all week, which put me in position. And then turns out I just, just scraped in enough. So, you yeah. had some bumps in the road as far as your play this season on the PGA Tour. At mm-hmm. what point this week did you have the belief to think, okay, this can be my moment to get my oh, first one? I was one back with one round to play. I'm thinking, a good round tomorrow, you don't know what's going to happen. I mean... Even halfway through the round today, or even 12 holes, 11 holes in, I'm thinking, well, you know, it's going to need a lot of special golf coming in. And, yeah, I started playing some special golf. So, I mean, in terms of this season, it's been, it's been my best one yet. Um, had a really great start, and there's been a couple of bumps and decided to take an extra week off a break and take three weeks to just recharge back home with my wife and my dog and just, you know... <laughs> take a bit of time and to get some enjoyment back in after a couple of rough weeks and then you know come straight back out and play some great golfers i think i might be taking a couple of breaks every now and then now one thing i wanted to mention about these winners clates the five of them uh cam davis 26 lucas herbert 25 kiriaku 20 and the other two of course are amateurs but they're both only 19 so along with uh, a player like Elvis Smiley, who you've had some mentoring and caddying to do with, and someone like a Minwoo Lee and a Gabby Ruffles. We, we've really, you know, without getting, you know, too gushy about it, we've got a really good cluster of players at the moment. There are. There are some, there are some good players. Gabby's, she's an amazing talent. I mean, I, I last saw her play before she went back to America with her parents on the range of Victoria. She just started playing golf and she was kind of slapping away at, she was probably a 15 handicap and, uh, it's amazing how well she's played this year. Who's so, the yeah, best? Who, who's the best? Do you think? I know you've got a, a big regard for Elvis. Who's the best of them? I mean, Davis is obviously really good. We spoke about him on the last pod I was on. Now they're, they're all talented. I mean, I mean whose golf is the best golf? And what's Elvis's best golf going to be like in five years? That's really the question. Is can't compare a 25-year-old PJ to a player and now winner with an 18-year-old kid who just missed the cut of the BMW. It's hard to, you know, that's seven years, which is a massive gap, and it's hard to compare them. But um, they're all awfully talented. And Hannah's, you know, Hannah Green's got a great technique. I think she's going to have a tremendous career. So, but but predicting careers is, it's fraught with danger. You know, I've seen a lot of guys who, who are predicted would have great careers who didn't have them. And, you know, guys who no one thought were any good who became tremendous players. And But but the really great, great ones, I mean, I saw Greg play when he was 14. and Sorry, in 1974 when he was 19, I was 16. And I saw him play one hole and I thought, wow, this guy's going to be incredible. So, um, you know, the obvious ones are obviously pretty good early on. And I think Elvis has got that. I think Cam Davis has got that. Um, so Gabby, Steph, probably. So Steph, I haven't seen playoff. Steph Kiriak, who won at Bonville last year, early last year, gets her playing rights to go over to Europe and just goes whoosh, really. Um, she just seems so comfortable out there and probably too good for that tour, it seems. She really needs to get herself over to the LPGA, I'd say, where the money's bigger and she certainly seems to be good enough. I don't, I'm not sure if you've seen much of, of Steph. Comes out of St. Michael's in Sydney. Yeah, she could. She played with Elvis the first two days at Bonnie Doon, where she shot 
64 the first day and led and then shot 80 the second day and missed the cut. So I kind of saw both ends of it. The first day she made a bunch of, you know, not a bunch, she made two bombs, you know, 60 footers that you don't, can't you know, normally make them. And she, second day was, you know, it was kind of the opposite. It was really windy. She got off to a bad start. She just, you know, she should have shot, instead of shooting 64, 80, she should have shot 68, 74. It was kind of one of those kind of crazy weeks, but she plays a lot like um, blank. Maddie Jones. Maddie Jones. Mm. She plays a lot like him. Same pre-shot routine, you know, similar looking action. Um, you know, they're um, very similar looking players. I mean, and she plays really, I mean, same as him, really quick, really quickly. She walks into the ball, whack, hits it. And I kind of, everyone likes players who play like that. Hooray for that. We all, take, you know, we, all, we all take too long to hit the ball and muck around. And players who walk in and hit, hit the ball really quickly and notice the ball. And, uh, you know, they're, they're really fun to watch. Would you drill a little bit into Lucas Herbert? Because you would have seen a lot of him uh, being a, a Victorian. Um, I watched him a bit at the Irish Open and uh, he's flogging the ball uh, off the tee. He's got the big back foot slide bit Norman-esque, isn't it? And uh, he really gives it a hammering. I hope that his body will stand up to that. But um, when he's on, I mean, he, he putted so well. Uh, when he's on, he can really go low, can't he? He's aggressive and he can go really low. Yeah, he's a, he's a flashy player with a kind of flashy swing that, um, you know, it's not Hale Irwin or... Um, let me think about Louis Oosthuizen in terms of, you know, solid, solid, great, great technique. But he's a flashy player who, when he plays well, plays really well. And that's what you want to do when you're a pro. You know, this consistency thing is kind of overrated. Yeah. Well, how do you mean? Um, you, know, you know, I think, well, I think if, you, if you're a player, you make 90% of your money in 20% of your weeks. So when you play your best, you want that to be good enough to win. And Luca does that. No good yeah. your best being, well, it's fine. You know, if your best is finishing 10th and you're really consistent, you can, you can make a nice career, you know, piling up top 25 finishes. But if you want to win regularly, then you've got to have a game that's really flashy when it's on. So well, playing the way Lucas plays is a great way to play pro golf. I mean, Tiger was the exception where he was flashy and great every single week, pretty much. But you know, there were lots of players who played consistently really well and finished 15th to 25th most weeks and make 500,000 pounds or a million US dollars a week. And Lucas, I don't think Lucas is that guy. I think he's the guy who, when he plays his best, he, he, he wins or finishes second. And he's got a bunch of, you know, one in Dubai, he was... A couple of years ago, he was second, really early on in his career. He was second somewhere in Portugal, maybe, and third in the British Masters that Eddie Pepper won a couple of weeks later. So when he plays his best, he's right there. That's kind of the sort of player you want to be. I just wondered what you made of his recent decision to move to America. Um, Obviously, this event was played in Europe, and he's still a European to a player, but he has packed up and moved over to the States and he says that that's where he wants to live, which I, I found quite interesting given that he doesn't have playing rights 
on the US tour. So he's going to try and play himself on there or whether he goes to the Corn Ferry, I'm not sure. But I would have thought he's doing pretty well on the European tour. He's won twice. I'm really not sure about it. But I guess it's in his mind that that's where he feels comfortable. And COVID possibly has had a an impact on that as well, given the, the quarantining and that, that he thinks it's maybe logistically better to be in America, which I guess a few players you know, do even that play on European tour, like uh, Scott Hend is one who, who, whose home is in Florida, but he plays the European tour. Yeah. So, so I, you know, Florida's not that far from America. You can get there and you can get to London, I don't know, six or eight hours. So it's not a big deal to, you know, it's great weather, great place to practice. He obviously wants to finish up playing in America. He's played some tournaments there this year and played decently. He's probably not that far out of the top 50, which will get him in the world golf championships and, if you play in those and play decent, you make enough money to get a PGA Tour card. To me, it would be crazy to leave the European Tour to play the Corn Ferry Tour. Yeah. I don't know why anyone would ever do that. Yeah. So, and it's way easier playing Europe from Orlando than it is from Melbourne or Queensland where he's now living. So, you know, it's probably not that. I mean, if it were me, I would try to get a place in London and stay in London and play all the great golf in England and play the European Tour from there. But the reality is the European Tour is not as much a European Tour as it is a World Tour. I think It's probably, a misnomer, least, isn't it? It's a misnomer, yeah, that, that half, name. Absolutely. So probably half of their events are outside of the European continent. So Florida is not the worst place to play for. I had to ask you what you thought of Mount Juliet, the course. I'm, I'm thinking that you don't love it, probably don't love it. It looked very. It looks very American to me. Yeah, it looks more American than most things in America. The mowing lines are terrible. The bunkering's insipid. It, it's, it didn't use the most interesting parts of that property. It's a yeah. Look, it's a good course. I played the Irish Open there a few times. It's not a bad course by any means. But they moved the the first Irish Opens I played in. The first one was 1982 at Port Marnock. We played Port Marnock and Rolled which was proper. Irish golf, Irish golf by the sea. It's one of the it's one of the best fifty courses in the world. It's an amazing place to. It was an incredible tournament, but the economics were that the tour or the sponsors, Carol's, harks back to a time when cigarette companies used to sponsor golf. Um, Carol's, I assume, paid Port Manic for the use of the golf course, as opposed to Mount Juliet paying the sponsor to come play there. So it. You know, that meant we paid for more money, and not not many of us complained about that. But it's a uh, you know it's not Irish golf; it's American golf in Ireland, and it's you know, it's not what the best of the Irish Open should be. But pro golf's an economics game, and it's true that they'll play down the road for a million bucks if someone puts the money up. So we'll just wrap up the uh, result tournament results from uh, last weekend, uh, of course. Uh, Cam Davis was the winner of the Rocket Mortgage Classic. Jason Day finished tied 14th there, finished with a round of 66, which was encouraging the European Tour. Lucas Herbert, the win there. But Jason Scrivener, who finished tied 9th, also played well. And Minwoo Lee finished tied 17th there inside the top 20. I believe Jason Scrivener has himself a spot in the Open Championship as well. Ladies European Tour, Stephanie Kiriakou, the winner there, of course, the challenge to this one was interesting. Clates was Dimi Papadados almost made it another winner because he finished tied second. 
in the Cascada Golf Challenge in the Czech Republic. And he was only a shot from the lead. So we could have had another one there. Um, the LPGA Tour, Catherine Kirk, was the best of the Australians uh, in the Volunteers of America Classic, tied 26th. And on the Champions Tour, David McKenzie, the best Australian at tied 38th. I think, Clates, we might have a break now and we'll come back and have a chat to Olympian Hannah Green. With Australian Golf Media, you're back inside the ropes. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. Well, there was a big announcement last week of the Australian Olympic team for the Tokyo Olympics, which are only a couple of weeks away. And we're very privileged today to have one of those players with us, Hannah Green, who's in Adelaide in quarantine, I believe. Welcome to Inside the Ropes again. <laughs> Thank you for having me. What's the view like out of that uh, quarantine hotel? Is it changing at all? I don't know how long you've been there, quite a few days, I think. Is the view changing and what have you been up to? Um, yeah, it actually has changed quite a bit. I guess Adelaide has had some rain the last few days, but today the sun's actually shining, which is nice. But um, I'm halfway to day seven, so it's a lot harder the second time around. I did this end of last year, so... I'm hoping uh, perhaps by the end of the year when I do return to Australia again that um, perhaps it's just a self-quarantine instead of a hotel. Explain to our listeners why you've had to do this. You, you've left the LPGA Tour and you're having, I think, five weeks away from the Tour just so you can catch up with family. You're such a homebody, aren't you? Yeah, I um, I had been away since March and I felt like this was the only time for me to you know, take off events during the schedule to benefit uh, my game. So unfortunately, I am missing five events and I am missing the Avian Championship this year. So I am disappointed that I'm not playing, but uh, we have a great year to possibly win a medal um, at the Olympics. So that's something that I'm looking forward to and as well as, you know, the week after Scottish and British Open. So outside of talking to us, and I know that I've set you up with a few interviews, uh, how do you fill your days at a place like that? <laughs> You obviously um, can't go out. I think you said that you had a balcony, uh, but how do I you do. kind of fill the days other than Netflix? Yeah. Um, I have been watching a lot of TV, but um, I've actually started reading a book, which is something that I don't normally do. So my friends would kind of be surprised that I am. Um, but I am into jigsaw puzzles. It's something that I usually do when I'm on tour. So I uh, finished my first puzzle yesterday, so I have a few. Um, I've been lucky that I've got some friends here in Adelaide that have been dropping me some food and dropping me some things for me to be able to, you know, keep myself busy. But um, I think the golf clubs are going to come out of the travel case uh, probably tomorrow and I'll start doing some putting um, here on the carpet. <laughs> have you been to Tokyo before? Have you played golf at Kasumagaseki, a golf club where the Olympic uh, gold and silver and bronze medals will be chased in a couple of weeks' time? Have you ever played there? I have not played the golf course, um, but I have been fortunate enough to play a couple of JLPGA events. Um, nowhere near Tokyo, though, so that would be my first time actually flying into that airport and then leaving there. But um, I've heard a few um, girls on the Chinese team, they went and played it in 2019, and they said it's pretty much a typical Japanese golf course. I heard there might be a few trees in the middle of their way. Um, so that would be interesting as it's been a while since I've played a golf course with that, um, I guess, type of characteristic. But um, I think it will be a lot of fun um, going and playing there and, yeah, at an Olympic, you know, kind of, I don't know, tournament. 
And what's the level out of 10 of your excitement about going to the Olympics? Because this is something that you've you've dreamed of uh, ever since golf came back into the Olympics in, in Rio, isn't it? Um, out of 10, is it is it right up there? It seems like it is. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it definitely has helped me make the decision to skip five events to come home because I really do want to play well. But um, I'm catching a red-eye flight up to Tokyo, so I don't really know if I'll be getting much sleep on the plane. I think I'll be so excited um, to see everything and, you know, hopefully have a good week. So are you staying in the village and is it like a two-hour trip to the golf course every day or something? Uh, so, yeah, the Olympic Village is a couple hours away from what I've heard, but uh, we've decided to uh, get a hotel, which is about 30 minutes to the golf course. Um, I think it would be a lot, uh, way too difficult for us to be in the village. Um, and even with COVID protocols, I'm not really sure how would, that would all work either. So is none of the players staying in the village? They're all in a hotel? Um, so I've heard a few different scenarios. I think maybe one country has decided to stay in the Olympic Village, but then I've also heard some other European teams have decided to actually contact people from the golf club um, and try and rent a house. Um, but I want to say most people are staying in a hotel, probably doing something similar to us and staying probably 30 minutes away. Um, it's a tough situation. I would love to be in the Olympic Village. Um, obviously, Sue's a great friend of mine and you and uh, Sue went to Rio last time. So she told me that was a fun experience, even though I think it was only one or two nights that she was there. But um, who knows? Hopefully in Paris, things can be a bit more normal. Yeah, Shuden, Andrew Shuden and I took, um, we took Minji and Sue's room. Uh, no, no we, I, I think we swapped. They went to the house and we went into their room. But, um, <laughs> our room was Shuden's. It was like you famous last week for Kenny, for Cameron Davis in, in Detroit. Anyway, um, it wouldn't be a Japanese golf course if it didn't have trees in the middle of the fairway. <laughs> I thought you might like that one. One thing we do know, Hannah, is that they wouldn't be there if Clates was uh, designing, hey? Um, Hannah, what's the state of your game uh, prior to having this little little break? Uh, you looked very fired up when you went. You, you went over to America slightly later than some of the other women. Um, we heard all these stories about you adding length to your, your T-ball um, after some work with Richie Smith. So, uh, and then you had a couple of near near misses, uh, including one that you sort of let go, I suppose it'd be fair to say. I can't remember which tournament it was, but um, it seemed like you were playing really well. You just didn't get the win. Yeah, um, I definitely have picked up some, some length since, um, I guess, finishing at the end of last year at CME and, um, it's something that I felt like I always could achieve, but um, I guess with the help of the new strips and driver, that's definitely helped me. But um, it was a lot of fun seeing that change automatically, putting the new driver in and then also working with Richie to try and see how much we could really get out of it. So uh, I'm super excited um, to see how my game is trending. Um, I have been pretty close this year, um, had some of my best results that I've had and been a lot more consistent. Um, unfortunately, KPMG was definitely not a result that I was expecting. And I think I probably put a bit more pressure on myself as a past champion, but um, I'm hoping that, you know, the two weeks, two and a half weeks that I'll have out of this hotel and back in Perth, um, that Richie, uh, Jordan, Marty, my whole entire team and I can really knuckle down and use it um, to, you know, have some more good results at the end of the year. How do you, uh, apart from the equipment, how do you 
do you get more length and how much length on a, on a flat fairway with a you know, normal grass, how much further would you be hitting it compared to last year? Have you got more speed, you know, sp- um, you know, swing speed? Yeah. Um, I guess I've always had been able to get my club speed up, but I've never really delivered the ball or the club well to the ball. So um, one of my, you know, faults in my swing is that my hand position gets really high at impact and, I don't really get the most out of, you know, the contact. So I get a lot of, a lot of my miss hits are out of the heel. Um, so my smash factor is quite low. So, um, yeah, I've tried to increase my club head speed and I've been moving, you know, my arms in a better position um, over the last, yeah, six, seven months. So that's something that Richie and I are going to get straight into as soon as I land in Perth. Um, I think I've got four days in a row of just, um, you know, an entire lesson. So I'm excited to get back into it, especially now um, being in quarantine and not really being able to practice. It's funny how golf pros, if you ask almost every single pro in the world what they want to do, it would be, they would say consistent. Yet Tiger Woods and a few other great players aside, 95% of you make 80% of your money in percent of the weeks mm-hmm. so Huggy always had a theory that consistency was complete crap yeah. just when you play great which is what you've done when you play great golf play great golf and win and you know finish way up there kind of he told a story about Katrina Matthew who one year came to Australia and finished like 13th 15th and 12th or something including one of the tournaments in Asia next year she went miscut second 40th and yeah. she made more money for the cut second and 40th than she did for 13th 13th and 13th mm-hmm. so we all want to play consistently but yeah. the reality is that consistency is actually a crock it's really i'm i'm trying to get my game but when i play great i win and i you know like you're up there do what you do really. you know yeah you know, it's, a, sure. it's a kind of throw that everyone comes out with but it's actually in reality not that true Does that makes sense yeah yeah absolutely i wasn't really playing the weekend all that often um but my consistency is more you know go, making 20th places going into 10 uh, top 10s things like that and this is the most top 10s i've had um in a season so when you're in the top 10 you're usually making a decent check but um you, you are right sometimes it's better um you know you, yeah you can make more money for a runner-up and a, a missed cut than you are two top 15s Hannah, is Richie Smith uh, coming over to Tokyo? I think he may be. Uh, I'm not yep. sure for the whole the whole trip. And will you cross over at all with the men's team? I'm just wondering what you're feeling about that kind of team idea. Obviously, Brad James from Golf Australia will be there. I think uh, Ian Baker Finch is the captain. Um, so there's going to be a few people there, a few Aussies there. Uh, but will you cross over with the the men? Um, their, their tournament's obviously totally separate, but. Will they be there at any time that you're in Tokyo? Do you know? Yeah, so I just um, got some information last night and I guess the guys finish on Sunday and I'll be arriving Sunday morning. So um, I don't know if I'll have time to actually go out and watch them um, play, but uh, we all are staying in the same hotel. So hopefully, yeah, we will be able to all catch up. Um, 
I haven't seen those guys in at least a couple of years. So it'd be nice to see what they thought of the golf course and just, yes, yeah, see how they're doing in general. Um, those guys haven't been home to Australia in quite some time. So I'm sure they will enjoy uh, an Australian environment. But uh, Richie also will be there, um, as well as Luke Mackey, who um, lives in the Golf Australia house in Orlando that I've been at for quite some time now. <laughs> you stay there a lot, don't you? You seem to love that bit of environment with a few people around. Yeah, it's been really handy, um, especially in COVID times. I don't really know where I would have stayed last year. I had about six or seven off weeks. And um, yeah, it's been it's been really great. Um, there's been a lot of players that have come through, especially a lot of college kids that have been stuck. Um, and yeah, I hope it continues because it's definitely made a big difference for me and a lot of other players. Hannah, there's a couple of, uh, a couple of, Fairly well-known women have pulled out of the Olympic Games for for various uh, reasons, but um, the men over, you know, in Rio and also here, that you know, Dustin Johnson's obviously pulled out. Adam Scott didn't want to play. Can you understand that? Because it does seem from a distance that the women are much more, they're much keener on playing in the Olympics than some of the men. I'm not saying all. I know that our two guys are both very keen, Mark Leishman and Cameron Smith. But does that sort of surprise you, or is that just a a factor of their very rich tour. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess it's hard because I'm not sure what it is like for the men, but I assume it's quite difficult with scheduling um, for us players. Um, we have a major, then a week off, and then, you know, Tokyo, and then a week, you know, a tournament, couple of tournaments in Europe. So it is quite tricky with travel, and some people have decided not to do that because they don't want to risk getting COVID nineteen in a, a foreign country. So I can understand it is quite difficult, but um, I think it does make a difference with us women to men. You know, for the money that we're playing, um, I don't know. I just feel like they might look back in a few years' time and actually realize how much of an opportunity they missed out on. So I would hate to have that feeling um i don't really know if olympics you know golf belongs in the olympics but um you know that now that i have the opportunity um to represent my country um there's no way i would pass it up well hannah green it's been great to talk to you i hope that uh, you can get through the next few days get some fresh air out on that balcony and you know the the very very best uh, of luck to you in tokyo i'm going to be seeing you there as the media liaison officer, but uh, I'm sure Clates will be watching on TV. I think it's going to be really interesting to see golf in the games again. Um, So thanks for joining us today on Inside the Ropes. Thanks for having me. That was Hannah Green. What a beauty she is. We'll be back with some more after this break. With Australian Golf Media, you're back Inside the Ropes. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes, and we're not too far away from an Open Championship again, Clates, uh, next week at Royal St. George's in the lovely little village of Sandwich in Kent. I guess it's in eastern England. Really beautiful spot. First ever Open I ever went to was at Royal St. George's, and it had been a, a dry summer. This is in 2002 when Ben Curtis won in a, in a huge, one of the biggest surprises, I guess, that we've ever seen it at an open in some ways. Yeah. Um, I couldn't believe it. It was like a moonscape. It had been dry and I hadn't ever, I hadn't seen many great golf courses and I hadn't been to any of the links courses ever. So to me, it was just, I couldn't believe what it looked like, but you, you actually think it's, it's uh, I think the the purest and you, you would, I guess, count as one of those. It's a great golf course in your eyes, isn't it? It is a great course. And it's a, it's a great course because it's 
in a way, not a course a lot of pros enjoy. They, they think it's unfair, too quirky, too many bad bounces. And I think it's those things that make it great. You know, we're talking about Mount Juliet before and how, how utterly predictable that course is to play. And, of course, most pros love and crave predictability. They don't want bad bounces or bad luck determining anything. And Royal St. George's, there are plenty of what a lot of players would term as bad bounces or unfair bounces or those bounces of, you know, it's golf by the sea. It's bouncy and it's, you know, you get bad bounces because the land's interesting and it's quirky and it's humpy and it's, it's kind of corrugated ground and it's, it's wild golf and it's great fun. And it's, uh, when I, I never, I played two opens there, never played any good there, but I thought it was a brilliant course with a bunch of great holes, world-class holes, which is what every, to be a world-class course, you've got to have world-class holes and there are, there are at least half a dozen holes there. That are, the fourth hole's amazing. Uh, eight's a great hole. Ten's a brilliant hole. Thirteen, the drive at fourteen's an absolute ball terror with the out of bounds down the right. Eighteen's a great finish. The seventeen's a great hole. So it's it's a brilliant place to play the Open. Brilliant. I have to confess, I'm not across this, but you you may be. I'm not sure. But some of the Americans not that happy with the COVID nineteen kind of protocols and. The bubble arrangements. I think I saw a headline on a Ricky Fowler. Uh, wasn't happy with it. Do you? What do you make of that? It depends how serious you are about playing the Open. You know, if you don't want to go, and I mean, it's not that onerous. I mean, given what the world's been through in the last two years, is it that onerous to go and play in a bubble and play the Open? I'm sure that you know, for every if if, if Ricky Fowler did indeed say that, you know, I know a few of them are arcing up, but I'm sure there are plenty of guys who'll jump in and very happily take their spot. So if you don't want to play, fine, don't play. I mean, you know, for the longest time, even in the 80s, I remember when Curtis Strange missed the Open in the, he was runner-up in the Masters in 85 and didn't play the Open at St. George's that year. I, I think he said since that it, it was a major regret. But you know, there have always been Americans who can't be bothered. You know, they think the weather's bad. They don't like the golf. They don't like the food. They, Whatever, whatever. So the, the restrictions of COVID come over the edge. But... You can bet that if Tiger Woods was fit, Tiger Woods would be there. And you, know, you don't get many chances to win this thing. And you know, if you, and Ricky's not, you know, at this point, Ricky's not close to playing the golf that puts him anywhere near the best players in the world. So why bother to go? But you know, the Open's been a great tournament over the over the decades of well, f- for identifying the best player in the world. If you go go through the guys who've won the Open, it's done a phenomenal job of of identifying the guy who's playing the best golf in the world that year. So if you're playing great golf this year, get over and play. And if you miss it, you're really stupid. I sort of fancy Leishman, Mark Leishman, as the best Australian chance just because of his ability to play in wind. What do you reckon? Well, yeah, I guess we all assume that because he grew up playing at Warrnambool. And it's probably because for those who have they've never been to Warrnambool, there aren't many windier places on the planet than Warrnambool. So he's good in the wind. He was, you know, He lost that playoff at... St Andrews in 2000 went over 15, so he's always a great shot at the over. I mean, you know, we spoke about it on the last pod. It's like, you know, it's great to win the Green Egg Open and the Rocket Mortgage Challenge and the Irish Open. You know, the question for our best players is, what are they going to do in the British Open? You know, we've got enough guys who are good enough to win that tournament if they play their best. I mean, Jason Day was he's in good form last week. I assume he's playing. I'm um, not sure if he is, but he should do. Jason Day uh, won't qualify, I don't think, because he's not in the top 50. Yeah, He's not going. So 
um, you know, Adam Scott is Adam, you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's great. Like I said, it's, it's great to play well in the rocket mortgage and the Irish Open, but which one of us is going to stand up at the Open and stick up a great performance? And Leishman's probably the most likely. Cam Davis is a, I was, I've always liked his game. But that, the way he played in that playoff was unbelievably impressive. I mean, he didn't miss a shot there. No. And if he was going to, and if he was going to miss a shot, it was going to be that three on across the water. And he hit probably to this point, the best shot he's ever hit in his career. So that's, but he's going to go to a course that's wildly different from Detroit. Sure is. Golf club. But, um, you know, it's, but he's played in Sydney. He's obviously played a lot of golf at New South Wales. And so he knows what playing golf in the, in the wind is like. I mean, it's quirky. And, you know, you've got to, you've got to accept that 50% of the bounces you get are, you're going to judge as bad and 50% you're going to judge as well, I was going to say you're going to judge them, but pro golfers never see the good bounces. They only see the bad ones, but pretty much in my experience, good luck and bad luck evens out about 50, 50. The only guy that didn't happen for was John Vanderbilt. But you know, if you've asked Jack Nicholas or Ben Hogan or Peter Thompson or Bobby Locke or Tiger Woods, you know, if you're, would have rate the good and bad bounces you got in the Open Championship in Britain. That all go half for good, half for bad. I should mention that Dean Lawson got into that field too. Uh, got through uh, local qualifying, I believe. So, Dean Lawson from Victoria, who plays on the European Tour and lives uh, the rest of the year in Australia. In I think up in Queensland nowadays. That's a good result for him. A, a nice feel-good story. He hasn't played a major before. Yep. A uh, couple of any other bits and pieces, Clates? Did you? Uh, I think you've spent some time recently down at um, Seven Mile Beach in Tassie, which is your new project. How's that? Uh, I, I presume it's coming along slowly. And um, yeah, well, Lucas Michelle and uh, he's off to speaking of golfers. Lucas is off to defend the US Mid Amateur next month, I think. But he's he's going. He, he, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. He and I are going down tomorrow for two days to check on the obviously a pine plantation. So we're going to check out on the on the tree clearing and see what that's up to, and hoping we can see some more of what the golf's going to look like without the trees on the site. So uh, it's always a always a fun couple of days in Hobart. So we're down there, which will be great fun. Excellent, and uh, a couple other bits to mention. Uh, Billy Dowling. I don't know whether you've come across Billy, sixteen-year-old Queensland junior. He's the kid who from Surfers Paradise Golf Club who played in the Isuzu Queensland Open and uh, almost made the cut at 15. He's now turned 16. He won the Queensland Junior this week, uh, as did Haruhi Nakatani, who's also from Surfers Surfers Paradise. So well done to them. And uh, Glenelg Golf Club's got the senior amateur, Australian senior amateur this year, on the 20th to the 22nd of October and entries are open for that. You might have a hit in that, Clates. Except for a pro. It always amazes me why, and they can do whatever they want, nothing to do with me, but why the senior amateur, why don't I wait till they're 55 to play? Why wouldn't you make it 50? I mean, basically, there's, there's no amateur golf post 25 years old in Australia, it seems to me. I mean, there's club golf, but competitive amateur golf seems to me is just a, it's a competition amongst a bunch of, not juniors, but, you know, 16 to 22-year-olds. And they either turn pro or they kind of just give up competitive golf. So 
So there's almost there's almost no competitive golf amateurs between thirty certainly thirty years old and fifty five. So why why senior amateur golf doesn't come down to fifty or even forty five is a complete mystery to me. You know, it seems like a long you know, you know it's a big gap between twenty five and fifty five to have no realistic competitive amateur golf for guys that age. Well, that's in October at Glenelg, and uh, Glenelg, one of those great Adelaide Sandbelt courses. That the you, I think you said to me once the second best uh, city in Australia for golf courses after Melbourne, Adelaide. Adelaide, yeah, Adelaide's yeah, the five tremendous courses. What? Well, they the guys who started golf in Adelaide picked out. You know, they picked out that the sand was obviously the medium they wanted to build in, and they picked five amazing sites: the Grange, Kionga, Glenelg. Well, Adelaide, two courses at Grange, obviously, but they, uh, they, they pick five brilliant sites for golf. Absolutely superb. If you ever get a spare moment, you want to go on a golf trip, uh, it's, I can well and truly recommend a trip down to Adelaide Sandbelt because uh, I absolutely love Kuyonga, actually, and uh, Royal Adelaide's superb, and the Grange has got two great courses. So, Clates, that's all we've got for this week. It's been a busy show with a lot of Australian triumphs and we've got majors coming up in the Olympic Games. So let's hope that form continues. We're going to be back next week with all the best news, analysis and commentary on Australian golf. So thanks for joining us.